Welcome to another episode of Broad Appeal, the podcast that looks back at female-driven films from the not-so-distant past. I'm Brian. And I'm Sean. How you doing, Sean? I'm great, Brian. Okay. You could even say super as always. You could say that. Uh, So, Sean, believe it or not, we have been doing this podcast for two months. Feels longer, to be honest. I know, it's amazing. And it leads to the inevitable question, where do we go from here? This isn't where we intended to be. It certainly is not. And I have to say, you know, in thinking about the sort of range of things that we've not covered so far on Broad Appeal, I realized we had never covered a um, ambitious, moderately talented, potentially fascist, uh, image-conscious woman who is adept at manipulating Catholic iconography for her own self-aggrandizement. It can only be Madonna. Uh, or Ava Perone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so if you haven't guessed... We are we are delving deep into Argentinian beef. We are going to be talking about Evita, Evita. Now, Sean, in actual fact, according to you, you have not seen Evita. Is that right? I have never seen Evita. And yet, you are, without a doubt, the bigger Madonna fan of the two of us. Yeah, no, I am definitely the bigger... Madonna fan of the two of us. I mean, there will be times where I can't listen to her or read her or hear her speak at all. And then there are times where I rediscover that she has an amazing back catalogue and, and I love her. And I am a Madonna fan. Okay, I'm just going to say that. It's okay. Publicly. It's okay. I'll Sean I- M., you have accepted God as a higher power and you are... A Madonna fan. Yeah, I am a Madonna fan. It's fine, it's fine, you can say that. But at the same time, like, if anything, she lets me down more than she impresses me. Recently or always? Um, probably recently, yeah. Where, where did where did your Madonna-ology start? When I was born, she had, like, released Express Yourself, Vogue was about to come out the next year, Dick Tracy as well. This is a little anecdote, when we got our first ever computer, uh, what kind of computer was it? It was a gateway. You ever heard of those? I had one myself. No way. Yeah, with a box that looked like a cow. Yeah. Oh wow. But we got this one sample DVD, which was a collection of musical performances. Okay, not music videos, musical performances. Live and performances. Live performances. There was Hootie and the Blowfish. There was REM. There was Alanis Morissette. But there was also live from the girly show down under was Madonna's. Uh, live version of Vogue and I remember watching it with my mother and my sister and thinking to myself oh my god little did your mother know what she had brought into her Irish Catholic household little little did she know a terrible beauty had been born um and this was also like the height of sort of Madonna's controversial status in society right because like I can totally remember some of her videos being censored and the sex book and all this stuff. Is that around the same time that we're talking? No, because what would happen? I would have become aware of Madonna in her the softening of her image. Okay. In the years to follow the erotica album and book, there was the album Bedtime Stories, which was a kind of a softer R&B album. There was um, a compilation album of her ballads called Something to Remember. And there was a few of the songs like I'll Remember from the film With, With Honours. And a general kind of, like, mood change. Bear in mind that Evita came out, the like, a year, a year and a half before... 1996. Yeah, so it came out a year, a year and a half before 
the Ray of Light era began for her, which was like the the, the first incarnation, or dare I say, iteration of Madonna that I was acutely aware of. So uh, it's interesting because, like, so far, virtually every reference that you've made to your sort of Madonna cultural consumption has been for her as a musical artist. Do you want to say something about Madonna's status as kind of hybrid pop star slash actress and even film director? Well, I I can remember when Evita came out, you know, I I really can because it was such a a hype, you know. You were aware of this at age seven. Yeah, my my parents were big into musical theatre. My dad had seen Evita in the theatre. And you you would turn on the TV because Madonna was a big star and, and... you know, here she was in a serious film. And so I remember thinking to myself, I like this woman as a pop star, but I just was too young to be engaged with that film, you know? So you didn't go? Several years later, it was on TV and I was flicking through channels and I realised that it was a film that has singing all the time in it. That's correct. In, in To use the terminology, it is through-sung. Yeah. It's a through-sung musical. And I do not like those kind of musicals. I went to see Les Why? Mis and the film started and I thought, oh, here's a good number. And then it just never ended for the entire film. That was also Les Mis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying Evita's going to be particularly better, but what's, what's your problem with through-sung musicals? Okay, so... Okay, this is where I need your help, okay? Yeah, because yeah. I don't really understand this. So if you have a true song musical, how do you know what's a song to put on a soundtrack and what's just dialogue? You know what I mean? Like, there, it must be repetitive to hear... Yeah. This, well, like, to hear people, like... I, okay, especially if it's an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Before it was even a stage musical, it was that Rare Beast, which I don't even know if people release these anymore, a concept album... And it's funny because your idea for a concept album is different from mine because, say, for example, like an artist like, say, Kate Bush, for example, would release a concept album of an album all about snow. Okay, And that, to me, is a concept album when an established artist makes an album that has a theme running through it. I think a few of um, Andrew Lloyd Webber's uh, projects may be, have begun as concept albums where there's a selection of songs, but... Somehow they're unified by a narrative or a set of characters. I mean, it almost feels like probably Andrew Lloyd Webber knew he kind of wanted this to be a show. Um, and he released this album with these songs that were all, you know, inspired by the life and career of Ava Perone, I guess. Um, and then it became a musical in the West End. It became a uh, musical on Broadway. Big hit. I think 1980 it was. Starring my Sicilian sister... Patty Lapone. Um, I know this is a radio show, but if people could, if people could, uh, if people could see us right now, you'd, you'd see that Brian has a striking resemblance to Patty Lapone. Yeah, yeah, it's in in many ways, more ways than one. Honking. <laughs> uh, who do you think you are? Now, okay, so. Um, there was there was a long gestation process where people wanted to turn it into a movie. Do you know some of the people who were considered to take on the role of Ava before Madonna finally landed it 16 years later? Um, at one point, wasn't it like Liza Minnelli or something? Liza the, Minnelli, like, Barbara Streisand. Yeah, I thought so. Any other, any actresses? Michelle Pfeiffer, I believe, was considered, who obviously can sing. Yeah. Um, and, you know... Uh, I don't know all the directors who were considered, but certainly the most prominent was... Ken Russell. 
possibly I was thinking of Oliver Stone. Oh. Yeah, Oliver Stone was attached to it at some point. But it ended up being made, as we know, by Alan Parker. Alan Parker. He's made quite a few musicals and movies that sort of have music at the heart. Not music of the heart, but music at the heart. Because <laughs> that's the way it's craven film. <laughs> yeah. He also did Midnight Express. He did do Midnight Express, but do you know the movie he made just before Midnight Express? Fame. Bugsy Malone. What? He went from Bugsy Malone to Midnight Express. You know, that would that would drive a person to those kind of things. <laughs> that would drive a person crazy. Um, so yeah, he made Bugsy Malone, Midnight Express, and his other musical, um, Fame, and The Commitments, which is not a, technically a musical, but it's definitely a, mus- it's a musical film. music film. Yeah, so Alan Parker was the one who finally got it made, and he and he got Madonna, who who had... Certainly done a lot of screen roles by this point. So, Desperately Seeking Susan. Yeah. A League of Their Own. Body of Evidence. Shanghai Surprise. Yeah. Dick Tracy, of Dick course. Dick Tracy. You know, it's fair to say that, like, while I think maybe maligned for not necessarily being a real actress, she'd certainly been in her share of relatively successful films, as well as her share of kind of duds. I remember when this movie came out, you know, I saw the premiere of this movie. The Boston premiere. It was literally a special screening, sneak preview screening in Boston. Yeah. And I went um, with my family. Oddly, it's odd that your father likes Evita because it's the only musical that my father knows and likes as well. I think because my father really likes politics and somehow this was felt political. But we did used to listen to the soundtrack in the car. And when the movie came out, we all went to the Copley Square Cinema. The title credits came up with like Madonna, huge applause. Antonio Banderas, huge applause. Jonathan Price, I applauded. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Brian, people applauded when the film started. Yeah, it was like this hotly anticipated thing. Um, you know, oh god, I, you've no idea how much I would love to experience that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the obviously Madonna wasn't there. This was the Boston. No, I know, premiere. I know, but still, you know, like, people there have been like, "Oh yeah, Vita, yeah, we just got in the car to come down and see Evita. But you mentioned Les Mis earlier, a film that I don't think either of us like very nope. much. Um, but Les Mis does have one thing that Evita does not, which is that when Tom Hooper directed Les Mis, he made the you know revolutionary, much ballyhooed decision <laughs> that. The whole thing was going to be sung live on set, and they were going to record it, and we get all that freaking tremulous Anne Hathaway. Oh god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, there is something to be said for the the liveness of the singing, giving it maybe some kind of spontaneity. As you know, um, when Evita was filmed, Madonna recorded the entire soundtrack before filming a single frame of the movie. And wasn't it about like a almost like. A year or something before. Yeah, I think so. And so, as you pointed out, um, since the movie has almost no spoken dialogue, she basically had to kind of be, and everyone in the film, had to be playing along to a a pre-recorded voice of their own, which is how, you know, most musicals are done, certainly from the golden age of musicals, Vincent Minnelli, all that kind of stuff. But because it's all the way sung through, it's a kind of a weird thing where really restrictive in a way. So basically everyone in the film is lip syncing. I seem to remember Patti Lapone at the time kind of throwing a bit of shade about, you know... <laughs> Patti Lapone Shade? I no. know. <laughs> she had to do this eight times a week on Broadway, you know, and Madonna basically just has to record it once in a recording studio, you know. And And I can remember Madonna being interviewed on the TV and saying that she'd gone to a vocal coach and all this kind of stuff because, you know... She's not really a very good singer. She's not a very strong singer. No, she's not a very strong singer, but 
she did say that she begged Alan Parker for this role and that he would not give it to her unless she did a, she did a few things and one of them was like you mentioned she had to spend a good while with a vocal coach. I don't know what happened in recent years. She seems to have forgotten how to sing. One thing we haven't talked about at all about is politics. And I have to say, I think most people in the world who aren't from Argentina, probably everything they know about Juan and Eva Perón comes to us courtesy of conservative peer Lord <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber and Sir Tim Rice, which I think is kind of appalling. Do you know who Antonio Banderas plays in this movie? Yeah, he plays Che Guevara, he, he? plays Che but, Guevara. But they actually never, like, they, apparently they never met or something. Che is a kind of mythical narrator figure. Um... Mandy, Mati- Mandy Patinkin on Broadway with his tremulous falsetto. Mandy Patinkin as Che Guevara. Well, I mean, I'm glad some things have changed. <laughs> Replaced by sexy Spaniard Antonio Banderas. But he kind of... He, he kind of appears periodically to kind of comment on the action. So it's really odd. You have this kind of famous Marxist revolutionary inserted to this thing. You have this story which is very much about kind of leftist politics in the kind of developing world and yet I'm going to be really curious to know whether you think this film is political or has anything political to say of any substance. I guess like I have a sense of trepidation before I even watch this because it was written by two of the poshest men to ever exist (laughs) you know and it's about a a Marxist and a and a crypto fascist (laughs) and and Eva Perón uh See what I did there? Yeah, oh my god. Um, You alluded earlier to a disenchantment, shall we say, with Madonna? To be honest, it all started when her voice changed. What do you mean her voice changed? Like, I was watching Truth... She went through puberty. I was watching Truth or Dare the other night, Uh and she has much more of a... She actually has much more of a New York kind of... Like oh, you mean her speaking? Voice? Yeah, her speaking voice as well. She has like a kind of a a rough bossiness to the way she speaks. You know, yeah. kind of like almost very unself aware, working and class, sort of American. Yeah. and then she and came to London. Yeah, and that's more than that. I mean, have you ever heard an interview with Madonna in recent years? She's not interesting. I always got the impression of why is Madonna still making music? Uh-huh. Because you don't have to. You clearly don't enjoy it. But. Uh, Am I right in saying that there's also a like kind of political objection to Madonna that you have? Madonna has terrible politics. Like she has those kind of politics where she Do they really, change? Do you think she's there is a definite shift, you know, like stuff you can really get behind the early nineties stuff, you know, sex positivity, you know, she did a lot of work with people with AIDS. Uh-huh. Like she was outspoken and I honestly think I'm I'm not a woman and I've never been a woman, so I I I don't know from the female perspective. You could say I don't know what it feels like for a girl in this world. <laughs> but women have been told long enough to keep their clothes on, to keep quiet. That it, you know, that the men make the music. All the most talented people are men. But Madonna, in many ways, kind of in that kind of very digestible digestible form of feminism, said, you know what. I'm a woman and I'm going to do whatever the hell a man can do just as well, if not better. She tweeted a picture earlier this year of, of Margaret Thatcher. And she, yeah, Margaret apoplect- Thatcher as the original, the original rebel heart. I was apoplectic. Is that right? Apoplectic? Ap- apoplectic. Yeah. I was angry, to say the least. <laughs> like, you said to me that you would not listen to a Madonna song 
ever again. Yeah, I know. I did say that. Broke that vow. I did say that. Yeah, I did. It's just that I just don't understand her politics. She has that kind of politics where it's like, you know what? You know what's the most important thing in the world? Your self-expression and how you feel more than anything else. And that's not how society should She's be. She's a libertarian. God knows what she is. Let's get Sandra Bernhard on the phone. Oh, please. <laughs> but don't even get me started on like... The, the the category of people people who probably feel betrayed by Madonna. Rosie O'Donnell, Gwyneth Paltrow, Sandra Bernhardt. Uh, Rupert Everett. Rupert Everett. God knows. No, it's just, it just goes on and on. Brian, W.E. is a film about fascist sympathizers. She directed it. Well, it's like, it, listen, I'm just joining up all the dots here. Yeah. Like, oh, should we just watch the film? Yeah. Okay, folks. What's new, Buenos Aires? Everything's back to 1996. We'll see you in a bit. Bye. Perone is dead, very, very dead. I suspect many of our listeners will be familiar with the rise and fall of Ava Perone, but could you just recap the life of this woman as represented in the musical film that we just saw? Well, Brian, it's surprisingly simple to do that. Ava Duarte is a young girl who is the illegitimate daughter of some other man. She is set up with a disadvantage in life. And she endeavours to make something of herself by uh, involving herself in with men who can help her all the way up to General General Juan Perón. And before you know it, she is a wife of the president and much, much more popular than he. And what happens then? Oh, you know, she dies. <laughs> That's right. It is basically like she rises to power. She kind of becomes glamorous. Various things happen, and then she dies of cancer. But even the the music that plays out isn't very conclusive. No, it's true. It just true. kind of stops playing. <laughs> it's true. And the credits roll. So, um, as a musical film, what is your takeaway? I thought the production was brilliant. I thought the film looked fabulous. It was beautifully shot. But I don't think I'm going to remember this film. Why? It had really no impact on my life. The start of the film was... But Sean, you're, you're, you love labour movements. I, you're, you're constantly cheering on Jeremy Corbyn when he's saying he's going to renationalize the railway. Surely you're a Peronista, right? Well, I don't need glamour to, to know a cause to follow when I see one. You know, I would do anything for Jeremy. You know this. You've seen other musicals. You're a, you're a fan of the musical film. Um, I'm not, actually. Are you not? No. You like all that jazz? You like cabaret? Okay, so you, is there any non-Bob Fosse musical that you like? 
I, I guess I like the sound of music, but do you know why I like the sound of music? Why? Because there's dialogue and there's acting and there's like space to breathe between the songs. True. And we talked about this in the first half that they recorded everything 12 months in advance of making the film. And in some respects, it shows, especially in what I would consider the incidental moments, the, the bits that join up one song to another. People like Jonathan Price, he acts while singing, to some degree, quite well. Yeah. Antonio Banderas is clearly having a good time in this film. He's fun. He's kind of campy. I quite like it. And Jimmy Nail, oddly handsome. <laughs> can we can we pause on Antonio Banderas there for a minute? Describe who he is. We actually called him Che Guevara, but well, actually... He's just Che. He's just Che. He's yeah. just listed as Che in the credits. He's a plot device. Yeah. He is... A commentator on the film. Right. Because there is not enough conflict between characters to give you any sense of what's really happening or any sense of criticism on this person. It's interesting you said there's a lack of conflict. I would even suggest there's a lack of characters. Like, basically, who are your characters? So if you put aside Che, who's sort of our narrator, right? You have Ava and Juan. And the other person who basically is called a character is... The Jimmy Nail character. Yeah, Augustine Magaldi, who's the, the first man that she sleeps with. But essentially, there are no other characters in this musical. You have these kind of... Um, Walk-on parts. Well, and these also these aggregate figures, right? So you have um, masses and masses of Argentinian descamisados, the peasants. There's all these kind of long close-ups of kind of weathered... South American faces staring at Ava. And staring into the future. You yes. Know? Then you also have these kind of stuffed shirt sort of general types who kind of walk around and look po- political. And I, and then you have these like stuffy upper class British Anglo-Argentinian people who reject Ava Duarte's insertion into their country and club. They all look like Princess Anne. <laughs> Even but the men. Basically, those people just sort of seem to sing, speak, sing in unison, these kind of lines occasionally. It's like some kind of Greek chorus. Yeah, exactly. And I think you're, it's a very astute dramaturgical point, Sean, that you oh, make. Oh, thank you, Brian. <laughs> when you say that without the Che character, Antonio Banderas, commenting, it's really, it's, it's, it's a Brechtian device, right? So... You have the story of Ava and Juan playing out, and he's kind of standing off on the side, constantly saying these things that are sort of undermining their political message, you know? And he's talking directly to us in the audience. Alan Parker made the decision, I think, that he was not going to fundamentally try to change Evita. I mean, the score is basically the score. The songs are the songs. All the little, what you call the in-between bits, the kind of recitative kind of... (laughs) linking stuff in between the the big songs is basically still the same. I was relieved to actually see that a lot of those recitative... Recitative. Recitative moments. (laughs) Apoplectic. Apoplectic (laughs) moments were little kind of riffs on the songs that we we heard or we were going to hear. that, That was kind of a relief. You know, those poignant moments where they'd sing... Uh, a bit from another suitcase, another hall, or even what's new Buenos Aires, or I'd be surprisingly good for you. That was, that kind of gave a certain context to what they were talking about. I mean, it also least. does something which is very it's typical a, it's, Andrew Lloyd Webber, which is like, it's drilling the tunes into your brain. I mean, 
I, I was paying attention to at the start. I was like, oh gosh, he's giving us Don't Cry For Me Argentina right from the start. All the funeral music is Don't Cry For Me Argentina so that like by the time she comes to sing Don't Cry For Me Argentina, you think to yourself, oh God, I've... I love this song. It's because you've been hearing it for the entire score. And it's the same with all of them. But I do have to say, Sean, like, yes, it's true that some of those little linking bits are sort of little quotations from the previous songs. But then some of them are just like out of the blue. And they do seem really weird. So she'll just have finished this like lyrical song. And then suddenly, should I do a bit? What Bride's Gonna Do Now is demonstrate Ava's astute comments on the middle classes. Screw the middle classes, they will never accept me, and they will never deny me anything again. My fathers of the family were middle class, and we were kept out of sight, hidden from view at his funeral. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Paddy Lepone. <laughs> and, you know, Madonna doesn't quite deliver it with that stridency. Screw the middle classes. <laughs> but it is, it's totally weird because... I don't remember exactly where it comes, but it's literally like a sort of more lyrical kind of traditional song has come to an end, and then suddenly that bursts out of her out of her mouth, and it's very jarring at times. You know what would have been interesting if there was more moments where there was just spoken lines. I think they would have a greater impact. I basically felt the same seeing Evita now as I felt when I saw before. It's probably the best version of this that you could make. And yet, I think it it also reveals the limits of the original material. So they sort of have different modes. We have the kind of mainstream melodic songs. Yeah, they're in there. You have these kind of funny little linking recitative bits. And then you have what I would call the like historical montage numbers. We're literally, Antonio Banderas will say things like, in the June of 43, there was a military coup. And suddenly you just see like shots of tanks rolling down the street and like explosions. Electric guitar. <laughs> and then all of these crowds, I mean crowds and crowds, carrying... Those extras made a fortune well, in this film. they also probably worked their biceps because they were carrying so many signs. And all the signs were done with beautifully clear typeface. Always really nicely hand-lettered. Viva Evita! <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, basically their representation of history is you have Juan and Eva in charge of everything and then kind of people are for them people are against them there's an earthquake there's these explosions there's a strike there's this headlines spin by you know many dead Peron victorious during the film I had to turn to Brian and ask him wait who's who's on the left and who's on the right it's I don't think I don't think my knowledge of Argentinian history has improved even in the slightest no and I think that's because you're watching it through a kind of series of filters of filters basically I think the only thing you can extract is there's somehow these political manipulative demagogues yet at the same time the previous regime and the elites of the kind of Anglo-English investors also seem like they were pretty shitty you Mm. know like there's no sort of credible alternative of any of the whole mess of it ever represented and it it strikes me as a very like particularly English view of this it's like oh look at this developing world nonsense like don't these people just fall for anyone in a pretty dress with like a good slogan it's in it's into the level of the orchestrations because whenever they deliver a political speech and they you know they say lines like um we will take the riches from the oligarchs only for you. Suddenly the, the orchestra gets all sinister. And, and the people, when they're chanting, they're saying things like, Peron, Peron, 
Pero. It's like the Jaws theme. <laughs> da, 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 They're like da, robots. Da. They're like robots. So basically, I think Lord Lloyd Webber's opinion is people are easily manipulated by, you know, glamorous Dior jewels and a strong arm army tactics and basically throwing money out of trains. Now I am a worker. I've suffered the way that you do. I've been unemployed and I've starved and I've hated it too. Understanding of who is Ava Perón as a character? Yeah, she's basically Madonna. <laughs> I think the casting in this film was perfect because there really is no other actress who could give anything better to that role. Because there's not much really to work with. It is an exercise in lip syncing well. Madonna, a lot of the time, while her vocal abilities are quite good, her face doesn't really move very well. It's like she she Madonna's always been a better dancer than she has been a singer. So one thing she does very well is move. Okay, I would say that about her. Very much like her her part in A League of Their Own. She is at her best when she's flirting, when she's dancing, when she's young, when she's having a good time. So what was your favorite numbers? Rank some of the numbers. Which ones were the best on the Madonna scheme of things? The two best numbers in the film are You Must Love Me because it was written for Madonna knowing that Madonna was in the role so it it matches her range. Mm-hmm. Short sentences, <laughs> nothing too long. And the second one is What's New Buenos Aires because you really believe the excitement she has coming to the big city. Yeah, because she's done that. like Madonna herself. This is very reflective of Madonna's own life. A girl from... No, nothing special of a background. Who lost a parent, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Who is very precocious at a young age and know as knows what she wants, and then one day makes it to the big city, and through her own abilities, she gets up and up and up and up. Tosses people aside left and right. Yeah, I, Sandra Bernhard. Sandra Bernhard was there as an Argentinian stuffed shirt. Yeah, stuffed she to was the, stuffed to the side. I mean. I think both of us sort of looked at each other with with arched eyebrows because there was one point where Chase says to her, do you now represent any cause but your own? And we kind of looked at each other like... like schools in Malawi. (laughs) (laughs) This role is kind of a blank. And I think that's why you're saying at the end, you're like, what? What am I supposed to make of this? Because you're like, yeah, she, she she was a star, but did she use her star power for anything? And maybe... That's why Madonna could relate to the role. The bits where I thought she really shone were, dare I say, the makeover moments. The oh, the rainbow, the rainbow high. Yeah. That one. That was <laughs> that was fun because everybody loves a makeover montage moments. Well, they both they both were very. Uh, they had a high degree of blonde ambition, didn't they? Yeah. I came from the people. They need to adore me. So Christian Dior me. I need to be dazzling. I want to be rainbow high. They must have excitement, and so must I. Eyes, hair, mouth, figure, dress, voice, style. I'm that product. It's vital you sell me. So Machiavelli, make an Argentine robe. 
I think partly the reason why Madonna's roles flop, the films she's in, don't do so well, is probably because she's just not suited to acting. No. She's too much of a big controlling personality and too much of an icon to suddenly be anything else. And like she's good at a lot of things. So this is no slight against her. Yeah. It's what happens when you are mega, mega famous. Yeah. I have to say... um, you, Sean, introduced me to a Madonna film, which I would argue is probably her best role what on one? screen. Truth or Dare. Oh my god, yeah. No, honestly, Truth or Dare, be interesting to watch these two as a double feature, but which you did, right? You just rewatched it. Well, the I other watched day. it the other day because I had nothing else to do. And they both have Antonio Banderas. They them. do. What, remind us what happens with Antonio Banderas in Truth or Dare. So she says, uh, I love that guy. She says, I've met so many famous people and I, there's some people who I still want to meet. Like that guy, Antonio Banderas, he's so sexy. He's in all those Pedro Almodovar films. And then we meet Antonio and she goes, shame he's married. His <laughs> wife, his then wife is there. Not <laughs> Melanie Griffith. But yeah, Madonna in Truth or Dare, it's interesting. She is playing herself, but she's playing like a constructed version of herself. I, I really do think... She Super is, version. She's acting in Truth or Dare. Very much so acting. Um... Playing yourself is the role that she was born to play. And Evita is a similar thing. And I, I, I think, like, you know, that, that segment in Evita where she goes on her European tour and she meets the Pope and all that stuff. I, like, I was having flashbacks to Truth or Dare and her... I'm an Italian-American and I'm proud of it. <laughs> exactly right. She's standing up to the, to the Catholic Church and... And the fascist state of Toronto. <laughs> oh, Madonna. Yeah, so... She did a good job, but this movie reaches the limits of what musicals can do, I think. Or at least what Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals could do. I've seen Evita. My life hasn't changed. When I saw Truth or Dare, my life kind of changed a small bit because I thought to myself, this is the greatest rock documentary ever made. And if anyone doesn't believe me, you've got to go find it. It really is an exceptional documentary. Whereas this, for all the... This, the music and the history, it's it's as good as it possibly could have been because it was never going to be any better. Yeah, and it's stilted, isn't it? There's something just sort of embalmed slightly about it. And it's not just David Perron, it's those lyrics by Tim Rice. <laughs> Honestly. Like Tim they, Rice to me. They, they stink. <laughs> They're so heavy and smelly. He never met a pun or an internal rhyme that he didn't try to wedge in it's like it's like he wants to take syllables and like cram them in that like do not exist sometimes i couldn't understand what anybody was saying um okay well you know madonna she doesn't need our praise she doesn't want our praise she's she's living her life you know she's living for love (laughs) she certainly is well uh is there anything else we want to say sean have we said too much is there anything more we can think of to say to these people see evita if you want to and all you have to know is look at us to know that every (laughs) Every word word is true true. all right it has been another episode of broad appeal if you enjoy the podcast please tell everyone that you know any way that you can subscribe on itunes and even better can you write a review if you like broad appeal tell the world yeah and you can follow us on twitter at Broad Appeal Pod. We will be back in two weeks and we hope to talk to you then. Bye.